Matthew chapter 28 is our passage. Now, this is an unusual passage during the Christmas season, but if you're visiting here with us or our guests for the first time or maybe just come recently, um, we started the book of Matthew during the Christmas season last year, and now we're finishing up the book of Matthew. This is the last message in this year-long series. And so as we come to the end, of course, we're coming to the resurrection, and we're reminded of the fact that Jesus' life is in two, has two bookends. And both of them are miracles. Matthew 1.23 says, For <clears throat> behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was the first miracle. The virgin birth, the incarnation, Jesus coming down, inhabiting uh, the flesh and for us, and then, then living his life for us. And then the other bookend happens in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 6. It says, He is not here, for he is risen Come and see the place where he lay. And so there's the two bookends. As I come to this message, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, as I struggle through the week a little bit and uh, preparing this, I'm always reminded of the story. If I have trouble kind of applying things, I remember the story of Abraham Lincoln, 16th president of the United States, that often went to church uh, during, his, um, during his tenure as president. And Usually when he went to church, he'd take an aide along with him. Well, this particular Sunday, he went to a Presbyterian church, and a fellow by the name of Dr. Gurley was preaching. And they would sit up, they sat up in the balcony pretty much by themselves. They listened to what was going on. They left uh, a little bit, you know, beforehand, so uh, right before the end of the service, so nobody would, would come around them. And they were walking out. The young man looked at President Lincoln, and he said, how did you enjoy the message today? He says, well, Dr. Gurley was very prepared. He was articulate in his approach, and he had a very um, magnetic delivery, but he fell short. And the young man said, well, if he was articulate and he was well-prepared, how did he fall short? He said, because Dr. Gurley did not give us anything great to do. Well, at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is about to give you and I something great to do. But before he does that, he, they, we finish up the story. Then we come to the conclusion of it all. Not only the conclusion of his birth, not only the conclusion of his death, not just the conclusion of his resurrection, but why he came his entire life. Then how are we supposed to respond to it? In fact, I want to look at three points this morning as we look primarily at least at the resurrection of Christ. Number one, what? Then secondly, so what? And then thirdly, now what? Now let's look at the Bible. First, Understand that the whole Bible, in fact, all of Christianity centers around three things. A person, Jesus Christ, a book, the Bible, and an event, the resurrection of Christ. And everything really being, being true must depend on that last thing, the resurrection of Christ. So let me show you that. There are many things in this book, and it's all about salvation. The book of Matthew is about salvation. The book of Mark, the book of Luke, the book of John, the book of Romans, all about coming to know Christ and being reconciled back to God. And as we begin reading this, we look, first of all, at the what. And as we're looking at chapter 28, please keep in mind, Jesus Christ has died on the cross. And then he was buried. Joseph Arimathea came and uh, got the body from Pilate and buried it in his family tomb, a tomb that had not been used as yet. And so there he is in a tomb, guarded According to the orders of Pilate, he was guarded at the tomb so no one could break in and steal the body. Here's what happens in chapter 28. 
Now after the Sabbath, which was a Saturday, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene and another Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now oftentimes when an angel shows up on the scene, there's an earthquake taking place. And this earthquake maybe was used to roll away the stone. Then we see his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, very similar to what we see in the Old Testament. Then it says, the angel said to the women, or rather in verse 4, and fear of them, the guards trembled, and many became like dead men. Again, very, very appropriate because of the rest of the Old Testament and even the New Testament, the book of Revelation, when someone saw a heavenly being, they immediately were in awe and in fear, fell down on their knees, fell down on their face before God in great fear. It says, for, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, come and see the place where he lay. Here we find the pronouncement here, the announcement, the great announcement of his resurrection. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as I have told you. And so we find this announcement being made, and then it's communicated to the disciples. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran and tell, told the disciples. Now, in another gospel that has Peter running back, a couple of other disciples running back to the tomb and seeing the empty tomb themselves. Not in this gospel, but in another. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there you will see me. Well, we find what's happening. Sunday morning comes, earthquake. We find the angels appearing. Jesus' body is gone. The, the pronouncement's made. And so the question is, did this really happen? I mean, we really have to grapple with that question, and we try to address that nearly every Easter. Did this really happen? Now, even though most of Americans today believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, we don't always act that way. We don't live out our life that way. And so what we're saying sometimes and what we're living is not the same. So the question is, did it happen? Now, here's the narrative you hear from a lot of people around uh, Western civilization, particularly in America, when they say, look, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was a great teacher. I believe maybe he was even a prophet, a Jewish prophet. He was a good man, a good guy. But what happened here is that some of the things that was said that he performed, the miracles and the resurrection, they were blown up out of proportion even in the first century. And once you got the second, third, and fourth century, and it, and it went along several hundred years, and the, the stories just got blown up out of proportion. It became a, a bigger-than-life myth. And then all those things were written down, and that's what we have here in the Bible. The problem to that is, is none of that's true. None of it's true. In fact, the book of Matthew, we know was written about 30 years after all these events took place, in the same lifetime. Paul, and the reason I mentioned the Apostle Paul, he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 15, we find the greatest uh, writing about the resurrection, about Jesus' resurrection, our resurrection, in the entire Bible. He wrote 15 years after these events happened. It was in the same lifetime. And so I want to give you very quickly four reasons why I believe that we need to believe that the resurrection, we have to believe the resurrection is true. One is the testimony of the eyewitnesses. Listen to what Peter said in his book, Second Peter. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power 
and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice, born from heaven, and we were born with him on the holy mountain. That we, we were there with him on the holy mountain. He's saying, look, the transfiguration, when Jesus met the two heavenly beings coming down from heaven, we were there. We heard the voice of God saying, behold, my beloved son. We heard it. We were there. It was an eyewitness. And all through the Bible, you will find eyewitnesses to these things. And we know that that is crucial. In fact, there was a lot of eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses to his resurrection. We can find people that, uh, in, according to the song, in fact, that song that we just sang, King of Kings, man, that was my, like, it's like my sermon. Uh, you know, it was like, man, this, this really meets. Because one point in there, he talks about people rising from the dead when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And they were walking around. I mean, I, I don't know how that was. I mean, I guess they were, wow, Uncle Joe, I thought I went to your funeral a few years ago. You know, and here, here you are walking around. I don't know. I don't know how that went. But then the Bible says that the disciples saw him in verse 10. It says they, they were in Galilee. They said they worshiped him in verse 9. He says, go and tell everybody about it. Tell my brothers other than you. I mean, tell everybody what's happened. And so we know that they saw him and then 500 other witnesses. Now let me tell you why that's important. Let me, let me tell you why. Because if, you have, if you're writing when eyewitnesses were alive... It makes a huge difference. For example, Jairus' son, raised from the dead. Well, you're living in that town. And you think, hey, I heard that story about Jairus' son being raised from the dead. I'm Jairus' father. That never happened. What about Lazarus being raised from the dead in Bethany? Just a few days before all these events took place. Look, I'm over there in Bethany. He never died. Nobody, everybody knows he didn't die. But because it was during that lifetime, they could have said something. I, I know that um, we get a chance to FaceTime our kids over in England every week or so. And um, my two oldest grandsons right now are in soccer. Well, we, they call it football, you know. But um, they, they're into soccer right now. And one of them is on a very good team, a veteran team. They've been together for a while, so they won a lot of games. And my youngest is on a team that's just getting together and they're losing every game. But it's improving, 21 to 1 versus 2 to 1 now. You know, I mean, it's, it's really getting better. They're getting close. But he's on FaceTime telling Pam all about the game and everything that happened in the game. And my son Jared looked at his son and said, Son, I was at that game. None of that ever happened. And I know he had to be thinking, Yeah, but if I told you the real story, it's so boring. But here was my son being a witness to his son saying, those things never happen. They were in the time of eyewitnesses. And these, the trustworthiness, secondly, the trustworthiness of these eyewitnesses. Somebody said, well, you know, they were pretty gullible back then. How do you know that? You know, there's no historical evidence. There are no, there's no scriptural evidence that these people are any more gullible than we are today. There's no, there's no evidence of that at all. I mean, listen, look what we believe. Man, you see something on Facebook and you think it's, or, or social media, and you think it's true automatically. You read it on the web, well, it has to be. It was on the computer. We, we are just as gullible as anybody else. But keep in mind 
that the Jewish people believed in a resurrection. But they did not believe in a resurrection until the end of time. Even when Lazarus was raised from the dead, his sister said, Look, you know, I know that we're going to all be resurrected of the dead but, uh, at the end times, but this is now and he's dead. They didn't believe it. Also, they did not believe that a man could become God or a God could become a man. It was ridiculous. It was blasphemous to think that a man would claim to be the son of God. And if you were to study the Gospels, you would understand the reason, the human reason why he was sacrificed on the cross and died on the cross. They convicted him of claiming to be the son of God. And so they were, let let me ask you this. If you're a skeptic today, what would it take to convince you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Well, whatever that is, that's what it took here. That's exactly what it took here. It took them looking and and saying, oh my, I can't believe this. It doesn't fit into any of my categories of belief. And it went outside the box and they had to deal with it. Thirdly, the transformation of the eyewitnesses. Matthew was killed in Ethiopia for his faith. Mark was dragged through the streets until dead for his faith. Peter, Simon, Andrew, Philip, four of the other uh, disciples, original disciples, all crucified. James was beheaded, according to the book of Acts. Thomas pierced with lances. Paul was beheaded. All these people died in their faith. Why? Because their lives were transformed. In fact, you can look around in this room and see the transformed lives. That's the reason why I want you, and I challenge you today, and you you can put it on the card. Don't forget that. You can put it on that welcome card. I would like to tell my story. We would like to get your story, three to four minutes, put it on video to inspire other people. One of the things that are the missing link of the church today is for us to proclaim the transformed lives that are living right before us, the transformation. And then the fourth reason is I have trouble believing in anything else. I mean, the alternatives are not really there. For a long time, there were no alternatives. No, no one ever said anything except for what was in this passage. In verse 11, it says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. Why? Well, till the people, his disciples, came by night and stole the body away while they were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so the money, so they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Until the day, of course, 30 years later, this book was written. And it's still spread today. People say, well, there's alternatives here. This swoon theory. He never died. I mean, that never really caught on because he was beaten with the cat of nine tails 39 times crown of thorns placed upon his head, beat beyond description, nails put between his hands and his feet, or in his hands and his feet, and and wrapped up like a mummy where he couldn't breathe, and he's supposed to live through all that for three days, come out with absolutely nothing wrong with him except the scars. Nobody really believes that. In fact, there are only two things that could have happened. One is, is Jesus Christ rose from the dead, or secondly... Somebody stole the body. Now, if the Jews stole the body, why didn't they produce it later? Why didn't they just come in and say, you know, you've been preaching a resurrection. We're going to prove you wrong. Here is the body of Jesus. It only take a couple of days later. That's all. Here's the body. They never produced the body. And if the disciples stole the body, then why in the world did they die for their faith that wasn't even real? 
You can say, well, look, a lot of people have died for a false religion. That's true, but they thought it was true. These would be the only people in history to ever die for a faith they knew for certain, without any doubt, was a false faith. And so I look at the alternatives. And so you say, well, so what? So what to all this? Well, we look at it. We understand that if this this is true, that proves that he wants a relationship with us. And dear friends, that is so vital to the gospel that we're looking at today. It says in verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, he's telling that in conjunction with the Great Commission. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But he's saying, I'm going to be with you always. What does the resurrection mean? The resurrection means he went to a great, great length to have a relationship with us. Remember, God's original design for us is for you and I to have that relationship with God. Our sins have to be forgiven before that can happen. But the ultimate goal is for us to have, to be reconciled to God, to be part of him again, and and to have that relationship with him again. That means that if he wants a relationship with us, he's got to communicate with us. You can't have a relationship. You just can't have a relationship. Unless you communicate. Now, he can do that one of two ways. He can come to you with an audible voice. Now, I don't know about you, but he's never done that with me. And chances are he hasn't done that with you. He can come with a still inner voice in your mind, and you're sure that God wants you to do because of what is in your head, but that's not always reliable because there's two spirits. You know, there's the Holy Spirit and there's the devil as well. And so, how is he going to communicate? That everyone would understand his will and under, everybody would understand his character and what he wants us to do for salvation. He gives us a book. Why do I believe this is the word of God? Now, there's a lot of evidences proving that this is the word of God or proofs of the Bible would say. But all kind of falls on deaf ears unless there's a reason for it. The purpose behind it all. And the purpose behind it all was for us to get to know God. And to have a communication and have dialogue with him. We pray to have dialogue with him. He says, search the scriptures to have dialogue with us. And so what does it mean? It means that Jesus Jesus was God in the flesh. That's what it means. Not only is the word of God true, but all of Christianity depends on an event. Let's go backwards. That points to a book that points to the living son of God. And it's told about that, as it's told about that in the book. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The resurrection authenticated everything that he was and everything that he did. Now, here's the thing. People will say, well, I just don't know. I don't know if he's resurrected or not, bodily resurrection. That's kind of a miraculous thing. The virgin birth is kind of a miraculous thing. But I believe he was a good man. I think he was good. Well, listen to me very carefully. Jesus was laying down a gauntlet here. Somebody said, prove it to me. He said, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove that I'm the son of God. I'm going to prove that I died on the cross for your sins. I'm going to prove all these things by being resurrected on the third day. Now, that's a big claim. So was he resurrected? According to the scriptures and according to, I think, a lot of historical documents, he certainly was. So what does that mean? There's a young lady that you may know about, Greta who, uh, I can't remember her last name, but her name, first name is Greta, 16-year-old, uh, dropped out of school to travel the world, talking about global warming. And um, somebody put on social media 
a picture, a black and white, old, old photograph, a couple hundred years old, of her or somebody who looked like her way back a couple hundred years ago. I don't know where they got the picture, maybe off the wall at Cracker Barrel or something, you know. Those old <laughs> pictures, you know, nobody smiles. And so they said she's a time traveler. Now, I'm not saying she believes she's a time traveler. I'm just saying that people are claiming she must be a time traveler and she's come from the future to uh, uh, warn us about global warming. Now, let's make this a little bit closer to home. What if I were to tell you, I would confess to you that I am a time traveler. For just a moment, let's pretend that I'm saying that to you. And the reason I say pretend that, some of you haven't been listening to anything I've said. Oh, that's the only thing you hear, heard. You're going to go out of this room and say, you know, the pastor says he's a time traveler. <laughs> you know, I'm just pretending. Just go along with me a little bit, you know. Go along with me. Uh, punch everybody beside you and say, pay attention. Now, I'm a time traveler. And I would tell you, I can travel ahead of time, behind the time. I know what you're thinking. Well, if you can do that, well, what about the lottery numbers? But that's not going to happen. Now, I claim that. And there are three a couple of alternatives here. You can't say, well, you know, I believe Dwayne Mercer. He's a, a good pastor. He's a good teacher. He's a good man. And I think he's a nice guy. And that's not an alternative anymore. I told you, and you are fully convinced that I believe that I'm a time traveler. And so, I'm either a time traveler, or I'm lying, or I've lost it. I'm a lunatic. I've lost, I've lost, I don't know reality anymore. And you say, okay, prove it. Wouldn't you want, to, want me to prove it? Sure. Okay, I'm going to prove it. NFL is playing this afternoon. And there's, I think, you know, several games involved, almost all of them. There's maybe one Thursday night or whatever. But most people, most of those teams are playing this afternoon and tonight. And uh, in just a few moments, I'm going to uh, put up on the PowerPoint the scores of every single game down to the point and how many yards a quarterback's threw for in each one of those games. Because I've been to the future. I've seen the newspaper or whatever, or I, some of you don't know, a, a newspaper something they used to have before the internet. Okay, I slipped up there. Uh, I, I've been, I, I looked at the internet, saw the scores, I wrote them down, and here they are. And you look at them and think, hmm, I'm going to check this out this afternoon. You know, I don't even watch football, but I'm, I'm going to check this out. And every single one of those scores are accurate down to the point and down to the yard passed by those quarterbacks. What's going to be your conclusion? Well, some of you are going to say, he must be a time traveler. Others are going to say, it doesn't fit in my category. There's a trick to this somewhere. You see, people saw Jesus Christ. This is 500 people saw him at one time. It didn't say all those people followed him after that. The Jewish leaders knew exactly who he must be. Look at all the miracles. Look at all the good he's done. But they refused to believe it. But Jesus laid down the gauntlet. If he rose from the dead, he said, if I rise from the dead, I'm the son of God. And everything about me, the scriptures are teaching, are true. If I don't rise from the dead, forget about me. It's not, oh, Jesus was a good man. No, Jesus was, was a crazy man if he didn't rise from the dead. Or he lied to us in some way. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's the son of God. That means something, folks. 
That means something. It's probably more important than our careers. It's probably more important than the money. It's probably more important than different things that we do in life. It's probably more important than where you're going to eat lunch this afternoon. There's some important things to that if he's the son of God. The cross, a payment for our sins. And you can live a supernatural life. You can live. You have an opportunity. Because once you and I receive Christ into our heart, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of our life. That inner core of our being guides our life. And we can live an unexplainable life. It doesn't happen that often because we're not as committed as we need to be. At least not in America. Around the world it does. But we have an opportunity to supernatural life. And then when we die, we go to heaven. Martha even said, I know that when we rise again, on the last day, we will be risen again. It proves God loves, God loves you. Paul said this in the book of Romans, No, in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to find out in the first of the year, we're talking about trusting God with our lives. One of the things you have to do to trust God, you have to be absolutely, positively sure that God loves you. We just go through too many trials in life not to know that and be able to be victorious. So now what? What does all this mean? What does, all, what does Jesus want us to do based on everything that we've learned here in the book of Matthew? He says in verse 18, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And this word go means as you are going. It means that I'm assuming you're going to go. I mean, good news have happened, has happened to you. The gospel is the, the Greek word for gospel. That means good news. And you have good news that the Son of God has come to, to visit you. God in the flesh. He died for your sins. He rose again on the third day. He lives within your heart. You have good news. You have news that... Nobody else in the world can compete with. So you go and tell them. Even in verse 10, he says, go. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee that you, see, that you will see me. We find, he says to go. He says, go and do what? Make disciples. Now, you and I, when we talk about discipleship, a lot of times we're talking about growing in the Lord. But back then, they, they didn't call Christians Christians. They didn't have that word yet. Everybody was just a disciple. If you lead somebody to the Lord, they became a disciple. He says, go out and make disciples. Share the good news intentionally to lead people to Christ. He says, baptizing them, mark them. The first act of obedience is after being saved is to be baptized, to identify with Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to go out, make disciples, and mark disciples. He says, I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So it's once you become a believer, you still have to learn about God. You still have to learn about the things of God, the ways of God, in order for you to be armed to go out into the world to share the gospel and have foundation under you that you won't fall into that temptation. On Wednesday nights, beginning next month, we're going to start Cross Life University. And we're going to share with you, you come to those classes, we're going to have one on theology. This semester we have one on Old Testament survey, Men's, ladies' class, intentional, intentional discipleship. We want you to know what we've learned in college and seminary. We want you to know that. 
And so that starts up. Why? Not just so we can just become navel gazers, you know, and just say, how many angels can you fit on the head of a pen or some ridiculous? No. So we can be equipped to go out and share with a lost world. Our mission, building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus Christ. Then notice he says, I am with you always. As you are going, why? Because he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, all is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, lost people are lost to God. Lost people hurt. They're burdened down. They're brokenhearted. And yet we have the message. And anytime we have a passion for anything, we want to share it. You want to share your kids' pictures, your grandkids' pictures. Why? Because you're excited about that. Unfortunately, the young people don't want to share their pictures of their parents, you know, or grandparents. Not as excited, are they? No, but you see that little baby. You see that little baby growing up. You see that three-year-old, five-year-old. You want everybody to see. I mean, isn't this the, the greatest grandchild or child in the world? You're proud of them. You want to spread that news. And you spread the news with a gospel that you're not ashamed of. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God. He said, it's the dunamis, the dynamite. And one thing about a stick of dynamite, you put it out there, you just light it. You don't have to put uh, nitroglycerin on top of the dynamite. It explodes itself. It works. It's going to work every time. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know it is good for what ails you. It will heal your soul. It will lead to forgiveness of sin. It will lead to a supernatural life. I just share it. They receive it. I never have to be ashamed of it because it works every time. Every time as we surrender our heart to Christ. Penn Jillette is an atheist comedian. Tells a story on video. You can pick this up on YouTube if you'd like. He tells a story about this man in his, one of his concerts, I guess they call it that, uh, gave him a Gideon New Testament. And he sort of apologized for it, saying, I know you may not be interested in this, and you know, it may, may seem like proselyting, but I'd really like for you to, to have this. Enjoy your, um, com- your comedy routine. I'm a fan. I'd just like for you to have this. And Pendulette said this to him. He said, you should never be ashamed to give out the Bible. Never be ashamed to talk about your faith. He says, I don't believe it, but you believe it. And if you believe, I'm going to hell. My goodness, why wouldn't you tell me about it? In fact, that would say something terrible about you for you not to tell me that if you believe that. Never, never apologize for sharing your faith or, or proselytizing. Now, an atheist says that. What about the rest of the people out in the world? What is it that you don't, you know, maybe it's a matter of belief. What is it that you don't believe? Is it the resurrection? The Bible, you believe, oh, the Bible has full of errors. Where? You don't believe in the judgment of God. There's accountability all in the world. You don't believe that Jesus Christ and his cross is the only way when there had been any other way. Don't you think he would have taken that? If, he, if we could work our way to heaven, why wouldn't he say, yeah, go ahead? You work your way to heaven? You're good enough? Go ahead and do that. 
Go ahead. I, I won't have to die on the cross. Some of you are going to make it. Maybe some of you will not. No, because one sin's enough to separate us from God forever, and somebody's got to pay for that sin. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Is there a flaw in your belief? Is there a flaw maybe in your walk? Have you been transformed? So I'm not saying you're not a member of the church. I'm not even saying you're not a good person. Being good is not going to get you to heaven. Getting to heaven comes with repentance, a humility at the cross saying, I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. I've got to depend on Jesus. Is there a flaw in that? You and I take the gospel because we've been saved by grace. We know what it's like to be forgiven. If, if that weren't true, the angels would come from heaven who've never tasted of the grace of God and spread the gospel throughout the whole world and just get it done. No, it takes someone. God wants it to take someone to say, God's changed my life. Jesus has changed my life. He can change your life as well. So like the story of the young boy around Christmas time that was given money by his parents to go and buy a puppy. He wanted a dog, he wanted a puppy. He's in the pet store looking over the counter, seeing all these little puppies run around. He says, I'll take that one. And the store owner, knowing the boy needs to spend his money well, he doesn't have parents with him to advise him, just says, uh, look, son, you don't want that puppy. You know, he, if I can say this, he's, he's crippled and uh, he's small and he'll never be able to run around with you like these others. Why don't you choose one of these others? Same, all the same price. The little boy walked out of the, from behind the counter and the owner of the pet shop saw the braces on his legs. And he says, no, he's that little puppy is going to have to have someone in his life who's been through it before that can show him the ropes. Well, dear friends, we've been through it before. We've been forgiven. We've been transformed. We have been. And the Great Commission, the whole, the whole idea here to reading all this, yes, has been get to know Jesus. Yes, has seen, we've seen the miracles, and that's built our faith in him, our belief in him, and proved his love toward us. But it gets down to this point where he says, look, finally, I'm going to tell you this. You've seen my life. You've seen it all unfold. Now, here's what you do with it. Now what? Now what? Now what? What I want you to do is share the message that has changed your life. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.